लग गुरुदेव की जाए श्री सदबुज गौरंग की जाए हरिनाम संकीर्तन की जाए श्री सदगोस्वामी प्रभु की जाए श्री चैतन्य धाम की जाए गौर भक्तवृंद की जाए गौर प्रमाण हरी प्रणाम गुड मॉर्निंग थैंक यू सो मच फॉर प्रेजेंस एंड टुडे वी आर मीटिंग फॉर आवर लास्ट टॉक कनेक्टेड एट लीस्ट विद टूडेज टॉपिक मे बी इन द आफ्टरनून इफ सम ऑफ यू रिमेन वी विल शेयर सम फर्दर आइडियाज बट दिस मॉर्निंग लेक्चर विल बी द लास्ट वन ऑफ दिस सीरियस अबाउट द कॉन्ट्रीब्यूशन ऑफ द सिक्स गो स्वामीज टू गो दिसन uh yesterday we as a brief recap we were sharing some thoughts mostly concerning sri satyam goswami astakam this beautiful uh composition by shri shrinivas acharya and that really very succinctly depicts all many of of, of all these elements that the goswami has contributed to gaudiya sampradaya or as we mentioned in the beginning they contributed to gaudiya sampradaya and in the context of doing so <laughs> so many things were part of the contribution so today i was thinking about sharing some thoughts about the importance of what the goswami contributed in terms of siddhanta and tattva being that they are our shastra gurus the shastra gurus of our gaudiya sampradaya and what they have provided is also known as the bhakti shastras so that's an important topic for us even though we may not be fully aware what's even the meaning of these words tattva and siddhanta but how important they are in our attempt to reach the ultimate goal of of bhakti which is bhava and prem so there is a very crucial correlation between these two notions of tattva and bhava tattva means uh, or siddhanta means proper conclusions if you will perfected conclusions siddha anta and to know something as it is in the term in the words of, of shila prabhu no? as it is mm-hmm. <laughs> and bhava means like the natural result of conducting ourselves in our practice guided by perfect knowledge mm-hmm. another word of speaking about that could be sambandha vidya and prayojan mm-hmm. prayojan is the ultimate fruit to relish to pick from the kalpa vriksha from the tree of desire tree of of bhakti but there is a way to conduct ourselves in life and there is a particular uh, orientation to our practice a particular in the words of my guru maharaj conceptual orientation that when you become informed educated about who you are and what is who is bhagavan and what is the interaction between himself and all his energies maya shakti tatastha shakti swarup shakti the natural practical conclusion of that sambandha or conceptual orientation is abhideya or bhakti actually bhakti is nothing more than the the natural by product of proper sambandha when you are properly informed who you are who is god who is your source what's the relation amongst the two of you natural the way to express that in practice that information is we call bhakti that's called the abhideya or the means to the goal and the goal interestingly is bhakti <laughs> but in an upgraded form so for us bhakti is 
means bhaktis go bhaktis sadhana bhaktis sadhya that's what the Goswamis have contributed also a very important notion because in many other processes the notion is I do something in order to attain something more and which is different from the other something <laughs> no, something is the means and something else is the goal no, I engage in whatever karma kandan ritualistic performance so at some point and I do this tapasya and I, and I deprive myself of so many things so someday I can enter Swarga and enjoy as much as I can. <laughs> so that's an interesting notion. I, I really deprive myself of many things so I someday I can enjoy to the topmost. <laughs> Material speaking. So that's a notion in, in, in the realm of karma for example. We embrace Varna Ashram and we embrace, embrace certain rituals but the ultimate goal is not to eternally deprive myself and engage in those rituals, but obtain the desired goal, which is different from the means. Mm-hmm. But since that's not the supreme situation, eventually there is a fall down from there. And in the realm of Gyan, there is something different but similar, in the sense that a Gyani may even adopt Bhakti on some level, may worship Krishna, you may go to the house of a Gyani, and he may be performing puja to Krishna, and you may feel, oh, here's the devotee. <laughs> but maybe his inner aspiration is, I'm executing this bhakti as a temporary as- asset, or whatever, a tool that will help me for my ultimate goal of mukti. Hmm. So some people will embrace bhakti for the sake of mukti. So that's again, something that you do something, but at one point you do away with that stuff, so you attain your ultimate desired goal. But for us that implies that still is not the highest thing. So for us bhakti is to be embraced in the context of further bhakti, enhanced bhakti, upgraded bhakti. Someone once asked Sila Prabhupada, what's the result of chanting Hare Krishna? He said that you will be able to chant more Hare Krishna. (laughs) There's nothing else to do apart from that because in that I mean, that's it, and that speaks about how that practice is the highest. Bhaktiya Sanjataya Bhaktiya, says the Srimad Bhagavatam. Bhaktiya Sanjataya Bhaktiya could be understood as Bhakti comes from Bhakti and Bhakti goes towards Bhakti. So Bhakti creates more Bhakti and that Bhakti in turn will promote further upgraded, maximized Bhakti. Because Bhakti is the ultimate goal of life, so there's nothing else to attain on top of that. It's not that bhakti will facilitate something more than bhakti. The fact that there is no more apart from that shows bhakti is the paradharma or the supreme uh, function or engagement for us souls. So the Goswamis through their writings they made this point very very clear. I mean this is stated in the Bhagavad but they made it so clear through their ontology and theology. So, presenting the importance of how to engage in bhakti, to create further bhakti, hmm? Krishna bhakti, Baba bhakti, hmm? Prema bhakti. The word bhakti is always there. It's not that, okay, sadhana bhakti, then bhava something else, no, bhava bhakti, <laughs> and then prema bhakti. So, we don't want the word bhakti to disappear at any stage of our progress. But in order to reach these higher <clears throat> dimensions of, of devotional practice, First, we need to properly embrace this idea of, of tattva, properly conceiving everything 
properly appreciating uh, in, in theory, properly appreciating in theory the higher realms that we have not yet ar arrived to. For example, uh, uh, the, the, the recently this idea came. Of course, Sadhana Bhakti is defined in a particular way what the Goswamis, Kriti Sadhya Bhavitsa, Dhyabhavasa, Sadhana Abhida, Nityasvidasya Bhavasya, Prakatyam Hridi Sadhyata, proper engagement of the senses for the pleasure of the master of the senses will eventually invite Nityasiddha Bhava to descend upon our heart. We will be prepared for such a hosting, if you will, from, from the Bhava that will come from the Nityasiddhas. But also Sadhana Bhakti or Bhakti in practice, our particular stage for most of us, it could be termed, it could be termed as a theoretical appreciation of the reality of Bhava Bhakti. Prema Bhakti. We may not be in Bhava Bhakti, in Prema Bhakti, divine love, ecstasy, but Sadhana Bhakti implies to, in theory, learn what those things are about, as much as we can learn, in theory, what's Prema about. <laughs> there, there's a point where we, which we cannot just remain in the theory, but there is some theory to learn in connection to the higher realms, and that has to do with Tattva and Siddhanta. To appreciate in theory the the ecstatic emotional reality of bhakti, that's also sadhana bhakti. To be properly uh, educated as a sadhaka. So the more we have properly tattva and siddhanta in place, the more bhava will have a proper ground to to flourish. And Krishna says that in, in the Bhagavad Gita, famous. Uh, First verse of the Chatur Shloki. Hmm? First part, second part. Iti hmm? So the first part of this verse speaks about the importance of Tattva, and the second part speaks about how that will in turn promote Bhava. Hmm? What does Krishna say there? Aham Sarvasya Prabhu Matasarbam Prabhartati. I am the source of everything. Everything emanates from me. Hmm? So he establishes the truth of his own position. I am the source of everything. I am everything. Everything is coming from me. Those who, under, who know this worship me with full emotion. So he makes this point. The first part is, I am this. This is Sambanda. This is Siddhanta. This is who I am. Second part, if you understand that and act accordingly, you will be carried into the realm of Bhava Samambita, Raga Samambita. So in this important verse of the Gita, Krishna establishing this idea, the correlation between Tattva and Bhava. You want Bhava, first you need Tattva. It's not just mundane emotionality. Bhava is a philosophical emotion, if you will. <laughs> Philosophical-based emotion. Our, the goal of our life is emotion. And we can say, ah, Maharaj, but it's not so difficult to be emotional. Ah, I'm sure it's not. <laughs> you just turn on Netflix and select some, whatever, Romeo and Juliet or something, and you can become emotional in a minute. But that's not an emotionality that requires... Uh, becoming philosophical about life, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, we can become emotional. We can cry, we can be angry, we can be envious. All those are carry huge emotional uh, 
like how to say weight in us but that doesn't mean bhava or the type of bhava we are interested in because interestingly the word bhava also can refer to samsara Mahaprabhu says that he says chetudarpana marjanam bhava maha dava agni <laughs> so he's referring there to how Triharinam Sankirtan is extinguishing the forest fire of Bhava. Thank you. Bhava. 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 Yeah, short. Mm-hmm. So the other one is the wood long A. Eh? Yeah. Which speaks there's something bigger there. <laughs> so the first one with short A rep- represents a short scope or emotionality, even though we may think, oh, this is everything for me. But that's samsara, so that's emotionality in the context of Maya Shakti and the Gunas and, and forest fire, samsara. <laughs> that's not the big thing, no. But if you want to go to Bhava, <laughs> I make a triple A, like in Finland that they put the three yeah. vocals in a row or something. <laughs> that's the one we are interested in, no? the, the real, the real. But in between the two, Bhava and Bhava, you have to enter into Tattva and Siddhanta and, and, and all this uh, complicated stuff that we need to go through <laughs> on some level or another. No, not to make things complicated for the sake of complexity because it's not about that. Let's make as complex as we can and if, if we enter into some elite of complexity. It's not about that. And uh, yes, Bhakti is simple. Susukam kartum abhyayam but Simple by comparison. It's, it's, it's not that in the name of simplicity we want to be simplistic and we want to be reductionist to, to, to an excessive way, not to the point of being lazy, of not thinking. Because on one side we have Krishna saying, yeah, everything is easy, bhakti is easy, simple to perform, and we may say this is a natural, ideal function, and so on, but also we have things like Siddhanta Valiya Chittanakara Lasriya Haiti Krishna Lagi Sudrida Manas. Krishna Daska Viraj Goswami is saying, Siddhanta Valiya Chitta Nakara Alas. So please try to spend time, make an effort to contemplate Siddhanta, to understand the proper conclusions of the devotional school. And since he knows that we may have some good reason not to do that, <laughs> then he say, Na Akara Alas. He say, Do not be lazy, please. <laughs> like implying, I know you are lazy. So try to overcome that. Like Krishna said in the Gita, Sarva Dharma Paritya Jama Mekan Sharanamrad Amtum Sarva Papi Moksha Isyami Masucha. So he knows. Why he say Masucha? Because he knows we were like trembling. He said, surrender everything, leave everything behind and just give yourself to me. And then Krishna says, do not fear. Why he saying do not fear? Because we are like this when we hear, just jump. And Krishna said, be... Down waiting for you. We may say, like, I'm not seeing anyone there. I don't know if I will jump. We <laughs> say, jump, I'm there. No, do not fear. So, similarly, here, Krishna Das says, Krishna Das Kamiraj, try to take time for understanding Siddhanta. Do not be lazy. In the name of simplicity, in the name of being essential and, and going to the heart, do not jump above your head. Do not get stuck in your head as well, because that's a dangerous stop as well. <laughs> the head is not the, the last stop of our, in our journey, in our flight. But there is some stop we need to do. I mean, we cannot just make it one 
how do you say, non non-stop journey, straight to the heart, and being like brain dead, if you will. No, we have to use our head, in the words of my guru Maharaj, to soften our heart. But you don't. Please do not try to soften your heart without using your head. That can take you. I mean, it's easy to do so. Again, just put Netflix and enter into a car, being carried into tidal well of bhava, not bhava, just in case. <laughs> so for us as Gaudias, it's very important to, as much as we can. Again, this doesn't mean you have to be an intellectual genius and have a particular nature and curious and all. It, it doesn't have to do with with rational curiosity because. That's not what's about Sambandha Jnana and Siddhanta. It's not about just entertaining your brain, if you will. I mean, that's not bhakti. We are not to exploit this sacred knowledge, but sacred knowledge is there to... It's bhakti, basically. What's the, the first anga of bhakti we generally hear? Shravanam. And what, mean, what does it mean, Shravan? Shravanam. It's hearing, and hearing means... Hearing what? <laughs> Knowledge. Hearing Shastra, hearing Sambandha Gyan, Tattva, Siddhanta, hearing. Reading means, reading is another form of Shravana. Because you are reading printed sounds, basically. So that's Shravana. Studying Shastra is Shravana. And it all begins with Shravana. So the word Gyani is not an insult, just in case. No? The Guru himself is depicted as such in the Gita. Gyaninas Tattva Darsinaha. He's a Gyani. But doesn't mean he's a gyani as we sometimes use the term in a, how to say, pejorative way. Oh, he's a gyani. He wants Brahma Sayuja. No, in this case, gyani means he has knowledge. He has not only knowledge, theoretical knowledge that he must have, as we spoke these days. He also has intuitive wisdom, insight concerning revelation. So for us, Srila <clears throat> Jiva Goswami, and here we go for a moment to to his contribution, of course, to all the Goswami's contribution, but Srila Jiva Goswami is very much uh, empowered by Mahaprabhu and by his elders. Goswami, since he is the youngest one, uh, he's empowered as the theologian amongst the Goswami, the Tattva Acharya, the one who has received the, the how do you say in English? Tomas the Aquinas? Aquinas? Tomas Aquinas? Okay. Of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And his sandarvas are like the summa theologica of <laughs> of our tradition. So he's the one among the Goswami, of course all of them present different ways of all the Siddhanta and Tattva. But he's really very much in, in tune with that. And he his Tattva Sandarva, which is the first one of the six Sandarvas, he makes his point. You want perfect knowledge to begin with, you have to go through the method of Epistemology, how do we know what we know? And the ideal way to knowing about transcendence is not pratyaksha, it's not trying to address reality only with our senses. That's a limited approach. We know that. I mean, we cannot just know everything through our senses. That's really pretty limited. If I say, I only believe, I remember when I was a kid, one friend of mine told me, I only believe those things that I can see with my eyes, that can I touch with my hands. That was like his opposite in this case. <laughs> that was his, his stance towards life. Of course, we were 13 years or something, so <laughs> there is place for such nonsense for a while. 
But ideally, in time, you should mature to the fact that, I mean, the only thing that exists is what I can see with my eyes. So what about what's going on in the kitchen now? I cannot see what's going on there. It means there's nobody there. I mean, I'm here in Sakyarati doing breakfast or something, but she's not existing because I cannot see her or something. Maybe. But even though in theory we accept that, at the same time in practice we invest so much hope in all that our senses can provide to us. No? And, and we, how do you say, we invest so much, we, uh, like, absolute power to the senses. We, we invest sometimes so much faith in that. All the things that can be experienced through the senses and that's all I need. And sometimes we organize our lives around that. But Chila Jiva Goswami will tell, no, if you want to know about the absolute, about Adokshaya, he who is beyond the mind, beyond the senses. Your senses, I mean, are not useless, but are, but are not the all in all, as we will see. Sadhana Bhakti is all about engaging the senses, <laughs> but in, in certain contexts, again, in the context of, of revelation. What do I do with my senses? Under the shelter of Bhakti. That's Sadhana Bhakti. My Guru Maharaj will say, you have to pour Bhakti samskars to each one of your we say pores, that's sadhana bhakti, to spiritualize your sadhakadi. So pratyaksha is not the way, no? Just sense perception is not the way to 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 attain the absolute. Anuman is not either that, how do you say Anuman inference? You translate that in English? Or you're like concluding something according to there's not only dependence on, on, on your senses, but some inference according to no, I'm seeing smoke. So you may conclude, oh, there must be fire, because every time I saw fire, there was smoke, but not necessarily that some, someone else can create and have some, there may be some, I don't know, glam rock concert, and they have this smoke machine there. <laughs> <laughs> so there is no fire necessarily. <laughs> and there can be some fire, and may, there may be no smoke as well. So it's not a, a perfect, the point is, it's not a perfect way means of knowledge in connection to the Absolute. So, I'm making some long story brief. Sila Jiva Goswami concludes, the way to approach the Absolute is through Sabda. And Sabda means sound, and sound means not any sound, but revealed sound. And revealed sound means Shastra for us. And Shastra means <clears throat> the Absolute itself extending to us. The perfect extending itself to the imperfect, the infinite extending itself to the finite. And then we can know. That's what Sula Sirmaras will say. Now, if the infinite, out of his infinite capacity, wants to make himself known to the finite, we can know. It's not so much about, I want to know the infinite, which is about this one. Infinite is available to me, it doesn't work like that. It's like the sun, I mean... If you want to see the sun, it's not that the sun come to me. Well, here in Finland, no problem. It's sun every, every day. Is the sun there? <laughs> At least in this time of the year. But in Argentina, let's say, for example, <laughs> it's twelve in the in, at midnight. You say, I, I want to see the sun. You have to wait till the sun shows itself to you. You cannot just and you cannot run to see the sun at the speed of light. That's not in your capacity. So only when the sun comes, you can see the sun by the grace of the sun. The sun is always used as an analogy for for the divine in so many ways. Mm -hmm. So only when the Absolute 
shows itself to us, then we can know. We have to exercise ourselves. We have to do something. If the sun is coming to show it to you and you are like the famous Greek example of the cave, you can just remain in the cave and not go outside the cave and see the sun. <laughs> so you have to do something. Basically means what you have to do is to look in a particular direction when the sun is coming and not insist to be distracted and expecting, no, no, something has to happen in this particular corner right here and everyone is telling you, the real party is over there behind your back. No, no, no. I'm. Something has to be here. So the sages say, no, no, no. Just try to change your angle of vision. <laughs> and everything is already there, basically. So Shastra has to do with that. It's a particular source of revealed knowledge, which is not theoretical knowledge. It's the Absolute itself appearing, manifesting His grace. And we have the way to know Him through that. That's like the... I always had this notion like revelation has to do with something that may... <clears throat> what to say? When you get in touch with revelation, you feel, oh yes. And I hear so many stories of the devotees saying this. Not like reading Bhagavad Gita, reading for the first time, any Shastra and feeling, oh, all the answers to my questions are here. Everything. My my experience, I remember reading Bhagavad Gita was first time was not only all the answers to my questions are here, but there are answers to questions that I've never thought about. But now I realize I should have been thinking about these questions also. <laughs> so I, I did not only find answers to my questions, but questions that I never considered that I realized, oh, these are very important as well. And there are the answers to those questions at the same time. <laughs> so... It makes perfect sense when you enter in touch with that revelation, but at the same time you realize, I would have never imagined something like this on my own. You read about Krishna, you get to some conclusion, yes, this is what how God should be. But it's not that you will come up with your own idea of Krishna one day by your own. It doesn't happen. So, <clears throat> so that's how revelation works. You will have never thought of that, but when you enter in touch with that... Oh, it's totally intuitive and commonsensical and make perfect sense. So, <clears throat> for us it's very important to, to establish this notion of Tattva and Siddhanta, this source of perfect knowledge, Sabda, through which we can know. And the Goswami have established uh, the standard, the canon for us Gaudias in regarding to this. Because when we say, okay, Shastra is the revealed perfect source of knowledge in terms of transcendence. There are different Shastras, as we spoke recently. There are so many Shastras. So first it has to be established which are those Shastras that we as Gaudias uh, address in, in, in our quest for Siddhanta, in our quest for perfect conclusions. That's an important thing. Nowadays you may have been aware of uh, some recent uh, debates and conversations and threads and podcasts we have been on in and and this is an important point and it was funny because I tried to make that in, in one interview I had one month ago on the topic but the thread that came as a result of that was like almost like a, a direct contradiction of that point I was trying to make <laughs> and the point was whenever we as Gaudias try to speak about some topic which needs reconciliation, which still remains as a controversy for many, 
which which still creates certain differences of opinion and there's not full agreement that shows there's need for further dialogue and conversation before establishing the truth about whatever the topic first we need to establish the means through which we will try to reach that conclusion you follow my idea that's in, in sanskrit called praman and prameya Sorry if I repeat myself, you have seen already this podcast many times. <laughs> I will mention some ideas that I shared there. So, Prameya means that which we want to establish. And Pramana means how we will establish that, whatever. So, generally, we want to jump to Prameya first. Does the Jiva fall from Golok or not? <laughs> but first we have to go to Praman, which is the source of knowledge we will refer to when we try to establish whether the jiva falls from Golok or not, or whatever topic. But first has to be established the, the standard scriptural evidence that we will use as Gaudias, again, to go there. So, <coughs> in general terms we will say, yeah, the standard of knowledge is Guru, Shastra and Sadhu, but especially Shastra is to be highlighted, because without Shastra we don't know even who is Guru and Sadhu. We say, no, the Guru is more important than Shastra. In one sense it is, I'm not saying no, but in another sense, I mean, how do you know that your Guru is Guru or bona fide? Where do you go for reference? What's a Guru about? Shastra. <laughs> so in that sense, Shastra is, is primal. We were sharing this one quote by Srila Prabhupada, his purpose in Chaitanya Charitamrita. He was saying, let me read, I have it here. <clears throat> It's interesting. He says, One should accept the thing as genuine by studying the words of saintly people, spiritual master and the Shastra, Guru, Shastra and Sadhu. The actual center is the Shastra, the real scripture. If a spiritual master does not speak according to the real scripture, he is not to be accepted. Similarly, if a saintly person does not speak according to Shastra, he is not a saintly person. The Shastra is the center for all. And he concludes saying, Unfortunately, at the present moment, and this was 50 years back, but remains updated, unfortunately, at the present moment, people do not refer to the Shastras. And I don't think that only refers to non-devotees. <laughs> no. And more unfortunately, sometimes devotees, when speaking about certain topics concerning Siddhanta, do not refer so much to Shastra, but carry more like an emotional type of presentation of I heard this from my guru, and I heard this from this guru, which I don't, I'm not saying that's wrong. I mean, you have to say what your guru says, but, but if Shastra says something else, that's, that's another realm of reconciliation and so on. So again, we know who is guru by Shastra, and guru has to be expert in Shastra. Every single verse that describes the guru, or the most, the main ones, always speak how he is or she is expert in Shastra. Mundaka Upanishad say what? Samitpani Shrutriyam Brahmanishtam. So Shrutriyam, he is expert in Shruti, in the revealed sound. Bhagavatam say, as we say yesterday, Shabdi Parichanishnatam, Guru is drenched in knowledge of Shastra. And the Gita say, Jnanina Stato Darshinaha. He, she is a Jnani, possesses knowledge of revelation and has a vision of that knowledge as well. Yeah. So, so again, in one sense the Guru is more important than Shastra, represents the active principle and the practical 
alive representations of the divine message. But in one sense, the Shastri is also more important, Prabhupada is saying here. In one sense, the Shastri is foundational to what the Guru and the Sadhu are about. Without Shastra, there's no Guru and Sadhu, because Guru and Sadhu is someone who <laughs> guides their life by, by revelation. So, again, so many Shastras are there, and generally in different scriptures we have this um, general way of establishing Siddhanta that we call Prashtana Trayi. So Prashtana Trayi means most Sampradayas refer to the Vedanta Sutra, to the Bhagavad Gita, and to the Upanishads, especially ten main ones that are considered by many as the ten main Upanishads. So for many, that's the way to the pramana, the way to establish whatever perfect conclusion. <clears throat> but interestingly, now a Gaudiya Sampradaya, there is this, a unique approach to that. I mean, we are not dismissing all these types of revealed sources, but the main focus made by Mahaprabhu himself is <clears throat> the Srimad Bhagavatam, the Amala Purana. Aradu Bhagavam Dhamma Brindavanam. So, Gaudiya Vaishnavism is all about the Bhagavatam as the spotless source of revelation. But as we say the other day, for us, the books of the Goswamis are, in one sense, more important than the Srimad Bhagavatam. In one sense, they are not different from the Srimad Bhagavatam because we go to the Bhagavatam by the hands of the Goswami, through their tikkas, through their commentaries, through their insights of what the Bhagavatam is actually speaking about. And their particular, the unique books also are also elaborations of what the Bhagavatam is about. All the books of the Goswami have to do with the Bhagavatam. You have Brihad Bhagavatam Brita, Lagu Bhagavatam Brita. The word Bhagavatam is coming over and over again. Bhagavatam and Amrita here and there. Bhaktira Samrita, Chaitanya Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chandra Amrita, Amrita Amrita. We are drowned into the notion of mellifluousness. So, <clears throat> so, for us, the books of the Goswamis are especially, especially important. So, we need to. To, to, to find some consensus when establishing Siddhanta. As you may be familiar these days, some of the interactions were in this direction. My Guru say this, Prabhupada say that, Bhaktivinotakur say this, or whoever say that. But what the Goswamis are saying, that, that's a, when speaking about Siddhanta, we need to go to the Goswamis. They have established the Siddhanta for the Gaudiya Sampradaya. Mahaprabhu empowered them for, the, for doing so. They ask, he asked them, write books. I mean, he asked them, establish the Gaudiya Sampradaya. And, and, and after, and how did he asked them to establish the Gaudiya Sampradaya? Is establish temples and deities and write books, basically. <laughs> establish the conclusions of our school of thought, as we mentioned. So, whenever we need to speak about Siddhanta, we need to go first to the Goswamis. It's not that, I mean, of course, more contemporary gurus and acharyas the duty of a member of the Parampara is to carry on the wave of Siddhanta. Of course, sometimes we will see they may present some circumstantial adjustment. I won't say the word preaching strategy anymore. <laughs> I've received enough 
<laughs> rapport in that connection. So, circumstantial recipe according to Deshakalam Patra. And the Goswamis uh, are the ones to go regarding Siddhanta. Because again, if not, we can just say, my guru say this, my guru say that, and we can just struggle for eternity. I mean, and, and do not, we do not care for what the Goswami say. And I, I know this is not an easy thing, but we need to find consensus because we are members of the same Sampradaya. All of us are members of the Gaudiya Sampradaya. So what makes us member of the same Sampradaya is what makes the Sampradaya a Sampradaya. And that's a particular Siddhanta. When you change the Siddhanta, you no longer have the same Sampradaya. I mean, what's the difference between all the Vaishnav Sampradayas? All of them are Vaishnavs, but they have different Siddhantas. And that makes them different, beautifully different. It's not a problem that there is some, something called Sri Sampradaya, Nimbarka Sampradaya, whatever, Gaudiya Sampradaya. It's not a problem with proper diversity is established in proper terms. That's okay. It's, it's nice... There are different siddhas and different sampradayas, but it's not that nice <laughs> when members of the same sampradaya are quarreling about siddhanta, <laughs> because we should understand, if we are members of the same sampradaya, it means we have the same siddhanta. If we have different siddhanta, we belong to different sampradaya, basically. Because the sampradaya is a school of thought, which is fully given, sampradaya, a particular type, as we mentioned, of... <clears throat> Of focus into reality and that makes the sampradaya unique so personally i think that the, one of the best things we can do in order to create unity among the Gaudiya communities try to find get closer at least start to dialogue more and more and get closer to some consensus regarding siddhanta which are our ultimate conclusion and i'm not saying that we disagree in every single thing it's not like this also no i mean but there are some things that still require some conversation I will say and again how to conduct the conversation how to promote foster proper unity that's important Sankirtan means that one of the meanings of Sankirtan we mentioned this idea recently is Sambanda Kirtan Sangha Kirtan also full Kirtan some Kirtan but Sambanda Kirtan Kirtan executed with proper knowledge with proper conceptual orientation with proper Siddhanta so in this way, our kirtan, sankirtan, our abhideya, should be sustained by sambanda hmm? to give place to real variety. Hmm? My Guru Maharaj used to say that. Hmm? How to conduct ourselves in bhakti? There may be some space for variety. Different gurus will emphasize different things, will have their style. It's perfect. There's no problem with that. Even in, ter in terms of prayojan, ultimate goal to attain it's not that everyone is destined for the <clears throat> only same possibility in the spiritual world there's variety also there's possibility in the Gaudiya Sampradaya of course mostly Manjari Bhav is the main window of opportunity but there is Sakya Bhav also is a viable current in our Sampradaya and so on so we shouldn't fall in what sometimes we have called uh, racism Racism? Yes. That's pronounced like this? Racism? <laughs> racism. Rasa? Yeah. Being racist yeah. in the context of Rasa. <laughs> That's racism. Yeah. Racism is something else. So, <laughs> so being racist means 
there's only this one rasa, this is the only thing, and everyone has to go there, and so on. So that's racism. We don't want racism. So there's place for variety in Prayojan. There's place for variety in Abhideya. But in Sambanda, ideally, there should be hmm? unity. Hmm? So, <coughs> when establishing the Siddhanta, in whatever situation, we need to go first to the Goswamis. The, the duty of contemporary acharyas is to represent the original Siddhanta of the Goswamis. And even develop that. There's place for developing the Siddhanta. It's not that it's wrong to develop Siddhanta, but Siddhanta development in Siddhanta has to do in, be done in certain terms. For example, I don't know, the Goswamis said, uh, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Hmm. And I come with, I have a development of Siddhanta, which is a development. Krishna is no longer the Supreme Personality of God now. I will say, uh, I don't know if that's a development of Siddhanta. No? It may be a contradiction, to a deviation, it's possible. The development of Siddhanta is to be done in a certain way. <clears throat> One example, as we mentioned the other day, is the Goswamis and Mahaprabhu. The Goswamis spoke about Mahaprabhu very briefly, or very abundantly in indirect terms, by speaking about Radha and Krishna in a particular way, so as we conclude, where is Mahaprabhu? But they didn't spoke overt, speak overtly about Nityanavadvip, for example, and the possibility of serving Mahaprabhu in, in the spiritual world for eternity. That was not their main focus. They did not speak, I don't know, in detail about the ontology of Gadadhar Pandit, for example. You won't find that in the books of the Goswamis. But those elements start to come after the Goswamis, interestingly, through different personalities, like Krishna Das, Kaviraj Goswami, or Bhaktivinoda Thakur himself. He really developed this notion of Nityanavadvi Mahaprabhu, and in part he has been called the seventh Goswami in that connection. So again, they are saying certain things that were not being said by the Goswamis overtly, but which perfectly fit as a natural Siddhantic development. For example, because I have this interaction with some, some devotees, especially one <laughs> who doesn't accept the idea that there is a Nityanavadvip, there is a particular group in Gaudiya Vedanta who doesn't follow this, and it's okay, life goes on. But, <laughs> but he was, his point is, well, the Goswamis never said overtly there is a Nityanavadvip in the spiritual world, so... We follow the Goswamis. They didn't say that. Yeah, but they said they said other things that put together naturally take us to that conclusion. For example, the Goswamis say um, every avatar, divine descent, has his abode in the spiritual world. Because I mean that's the whole idea of being an avatar. If I say avatar means I'm descending from somewhere. <laughs> I mean, avatar means one crosses up from up to down, one who is descending. But if there is nowhere to descend, how you can be an avatar, basically? And on the, so on one side, the Goswami said, every avatar is descending from somewhere and has a particular abode in the spiritual world. And on the other side, the Goswami presented Mahaprabhu as an avatar. So you put the two things together, and the result is Mahaprabhu is coming from somewhere. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Goswami didn't say that, but they gave all the things that properly put together take, it, uh, take us there. And this is not just a logical exercise. First we go to Revelation, and in the context of Revelation we exercise our 
our tarka, our logic, but not the way around. That's what is condemned in Shastra. No? Do not go first to logic and then to Shastra. And that's a problem. That's tarka pratishtana, says the Mahabharata. If you just first depend on your rational faculties without first going to revelation, you will be nowhere, basically. Apratishta, you will have no real standing. But if you first go to revelation, and in the context of revelation, think about that, and that's not only good, that's necessary. Because you can also go to revelation and not be very thoughtful and make a disaster in the name of quoting Shastra and putting everything out of context. Uh, and that can be an offense to, to Shastra, Shastra Nindanam. That's one of the, which is fourth, Nama Parad. That's fourth Nama Parad, if I'm not mistaken. It means to offend the Shastra. And to offend the Shastra doesn't mean just to insult the Srimad Bhagavatam or something like that, or to, or, or to throw the books of the Goswami out of the window, to the, or, or put, but it's to quote them out of context, for example, in order to justify something that is not justifiable, if you will, and, and do not take the necessary time for thinking about revelation again. So, <clears throat> so in this way, Shastra is there, the Goswami's books are our Shastra, they are the founding acharyas of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and their books are the foundational canon for us to know what Gaudiya Vaishnavism is about. So whenever we need to define some conclusion, it's recommended, let's go there. And if something that the contemporary Acharya has said, and it's not a development of that Siddhanta, but somehow contradicts that, we have to understand that in, in particular light. Again, as a maybe circumstantial recipe, there is place for that also. We, we are not demonizing nor condemning that type of adjustment, but that should be seen as what it is. Again, circumstantial adjustment, not Siddhanta. Especially if, if some of those Acharya have said different things about the same thing even. <laughs> Not only one thing that differs from what the Goswami said, but they have said what the Goswami said at times, but something else at other times. So we need to exercise our thinking in that connection. <clears throat> and being willing to, to adjust and being willing to learn. That, that's the whole idea of of Siddhanta, basically. It's not just an exercise who, who knows more and who is like the, the greatest pundit and in, in the neighborhood or something, but how much we are willing to to keep opening, hmm? our eyes keep opening the prospect for what things are really are ultimately and so on. So this is a very important contribution of the Goswami. They have given us the Siddhanta for the Gaudiya Sampradaya and through that the portal to enter the realm again of Bhava, because they wrote, they wrote many books about Siddhanta, but they wrote many books about Bhava as well. It's not that the, the Goswamis were only philosophers, if you will. Yeah, Jiva Goswami wrote the Satsandarvas, but Jiva Goswami also wrote <laughs> Kupal Champu and Madhav Mahotsav and so many other books that are just about Lila and Bhava and Ras, and there's no philosophy whatsoever. <laughs> You're just thrown into a tidal well of ecstasy. The same with Rupa Goswami, the same with Sanatan Goswami. All of them have their Tattva liter literature and their Bhava literature. Like showing, if you want to go to the realm of the kingdom of, of, of ecstasy, first you have to go through this. But also at the same time making the point, not only get stuck in this, but everything should converge 
into the realm of bhava. So the two things had to find their place. And that's what it means to be a to, to become ourselves progressive Vaishnavas, thoughtful practitioners and sadhakas. We try to integrate and harmonize head and heart. That's not such an easy exercise. <laughs> but it's important to take the trouble to do so. I know it's not so popular to say these things, but generally truth is not so popular. <laughs> Even among seekers of truth, there are certain truths that will be more like uncomfortable, but only outside of the comfort zone real learning will be there, hopefully. From the comfort zone there is no substantial learning. <laughs> so Shastra and Sadhus will try to very lovingly push out of our, us our, out of our comfort zone and invite us to think in a new way hmm? and approach reality in updated, upgraded way. So the Goswamis are doing that in their books through their Siddhanta. And that means to get closer and closer to the realm of, of Baba. Hmm? So, some ideas I want to share today regarding the Goswami's contribution in, in connection to Tattva, in connection to Siddhanta. Hopefully all these days and series may have created some inspiration to go on and take the books of the Goswamis and study them. And this is just a trailer to that. <laughs> As when I, we made this series of videos with Sakyarati Madhavan of the Srimad Bhagavatam, which were like, well, you know, like very... Three, two, three minutes speaking about each canto almost. It was just like on bordering apparat. <laughs> it was such an anxiety for me. I mean, I, I appreciated the seva, but it was like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm in full reduction, reductionist here in the whole canto in just three minutes, how to do that. But I tried to make that point clear. These videos, if you love these videos, you will love the original. Go to the book. This is just an appetizer for the real full meal. So this is the same. We are sharing some thoughts on the Goswami's contribution, but Brihad Bhagavatamrita is waiting for you there. Hari Bhakti Vilas, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Satsang, all these treasure houses of wisdom and Siddhanta and Bhava are, are there for us. So Again, this is not just bookworm, you say in English? Becoming a bookworm and just swallowing stuff and getting to know things and I know things that you don't know, but understanding all this is being revealed from the hearts of Nitya Siddha Parikars, the eternal inhabitants of the divine realm. So they are really sharing their their visions constantly. And through that we can get closer to that. We are to follow, again, going trying to make full circle to our first class what the Goswamis, their contribution is, they are descending hmm, from the Nitya Lila here. They are contributing with their own lives and sharing their own ragadmika hmm, existence, which is totally made of love for Krishna, and expressing that in the form of their book. So we are to take advantage of that. Hmm. There's a very extraordinary opportunity knocking on our door. So hopefully, hopefully we can get some inspiration or in these particular directions. That goes on Prabhuji. We may dedicate some few minutes before finishing. If there are any questions <coughs> in connection to to whatever we have been speaking today or something in connection to that also. Someone here connected would like to present any question. I have just unmuted.
Gary put the unmute option. But I don't know if the one's present here. Honker. I guess I, <coughs> I find like a really beautiful concept with Guru Shastra and Sadhu. And I really enjoyed how you talked about that already, like about the Shastra in, in Bulgaria, how it's not just books in the shelf, but how, how that's kind of like a dynamic thing that lives between Shastra and Guru. Like, I don't know, I've been playing with, with like that idea of who is Guru and how does Shastra come to us and all that. And, and yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. But I guess I have like this point of contention when you said something about the... <coughs> that the and I asked Gurmaraj this too, and I, and I guess my doubt is still lingering for some reason like that. That we can't have a revelation without, without Shastra, like that Shastra is the revelation. It just somehow like strikes a wrong chord. That like, for instance, I heard, I heard uh, Sevanidi sometime talk to me about how he was in South America, and there was like this tribe that the devotees there made a connection with. And when this tribe was talked to by devotees, they pointed at a picture of Krishna and they said, our God is like your God, exactly, but he's only wearing a white dhoti like a white cloth, and that kind of was like, okay, like, people can have a revelation of Krishna without being in tune with, being in touch with Shastra or Sadhu, mm -hmm. and, and I guess it's sort of like this one atheist said, use this like term like priming, priming the, priming the, the, priming the pump in a way of like us getting <clears throat> presented something and then, then, then like, uh, then that's the only way. So, so kind of, I guess I'm just hung up on the whole thing of like that being the only way that Krishna can come to us. Like I just have a <clears throat> hard way, to, hard time believing that it can be the only way. Okay. Let's try to help Homkar in his struggle. <laughs> well, I will, I will say that the the idea of shastra, the, the concept of shastra, hopefully this helps. Uh, again, as as we spoke in Bulgaria, it's, it's not limited to a book. Because again, to begin with, we can have that really reductionist notion. Okay, Shastra, they're on the shelf, uh, some information and a limit to the printed sound or whatever. But Shastra, and, and I appreciate that our Guru Maharaj speaks in, in terms of revelation. So revelation can happen in many ways. For example, you gave this example of the tribe. I don't know the details of that background and, and, and which is the particular conception of Krishna and so on, uh, but there's place for that for sure. I mean, revelation again. I was explaining today Shastra in terms of the infinite showing itself to the finite. So, I mean, there's no limit. How can that take place, basically? Hmm? So I, I'm not saying only. Bhagavatam is the only thing, only our book is the only thing, and all, I mean, Bhagavan himself has, for himself and by himself, he can do whatever he likes. Of course, this doesn't give right place to, okay, whatever nonsense I may do, it's, it's just revelation. You can be just a, a maniac, uh, crazy fellow, and, and you may be speaking, oh, God is speaking to me, and I'm being empowered, and he told me I have to kill all Turku people and whatever and say, okay, that doesn't sound like revelation. <laughs> there are certain parameters hmm, in, in which uh, revelation, but, but the point is there is no limit. I mean, if Krishna wants to show himself to anyone, anywhere, he can do that. I mean, it's not that he's limited in that connection. But at the same time, 
there is a certain way or a certain recommended I mean you have the rule and you have the exception to the rule exception to the rule means Krishna can do whatever he likes and give bestow Kripa Siddhi on, on, on Putana if you will no? <laughs> but it's not that okay let's do let's try then to kill Krishna and maybe we obtain Batsali of half who knows <laughs> we are I will try to kill Krishna maybe I will be thrown to Golok who knows Krishna may whimsically want to bestow on me whatever he gave to Putta it may not be the case no we, we don't see that the Goswamis are recommending <laughs> but they are leaving this open door for Krishna having all rights reserved as they say no <laughs> in, in regards to revelation so revelation means revelation I mean, I, I, we were speaking in Bulgaria, I think, also with the devotees on how, <clears throat> for example, who was the person? I think we were speaking about different thinkers, contemporary Western thinkers, like Frederick Nietzsche and, and, and even Jordan Peterson and some others. How many of them, without resorting to revelation in the sense of being part of a tradition and, and learning Shastra from a guru... <laughs> But they have a certain degree of sincerity in their in their quest that they reach some very <clears throat> like like the shores of transcendence in, in in many interesting conclusions. Like for example, Nietzsche saying this notion of if God exists, he has to be a dancer. I mean, I cannot I cannot think of a God who cannot who is not dancing. It doesn't make sense. It cannot be God. That cannot be God. Of course, he was not going to the ultimate details of Braja Krishna, Mahaprabhu, Nityanavadi, and so on. But the sincerity of his quest took him into a direction where he reached this intuitive conclusion it must be like this. No? Or the famous case of, uh, of who eventually became Sri Krishna Prem, which was the name? Richard Nixon? Ronald Nixon or Richard Nixon? I always make the mistake. Okay. Whatever was not the name of the President of the United States, the other one. No? One was Ronald, the other was Richard. So, Mr. Nixon. And he went to India. He was really desperate looking for God. You know the story. He was a pilot in, in, the, in the army and the plane was going down and he was a declared atheist. And, he, and as the saying goes, no, everyone is an atheist till the plane starts to go down. <laughs> So that was his case. The plane was going down and he said, well, I never believed in God. He had some minutes or seconds to think in these terms. But if God exists, he will save me. And if he saves me, I promise that I will dedicate the rest of my life to look for him. And after saying that, he found himself in the hospital alive. So he realized, okay, God replied. I mean, he took it seriously. He said, okay, God exists. I'm saved. And he renounced to his pilot's job and he just went, started to, to, to look for God as his only business in life. So he started to inquire with such a degree of <laughs> of passion in, in different traditions that mostly, most people, not yet in, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, were telling him, I mean, you are asking too much. No? You, are, you want to know him too much. Go to India, they tell <laughs> Christian people uh, go to India. We heard that then in India people really got like obsessed as you are with God. So go there and meet. So he went to India, as you know, and he thought, thinking, okay, I'm going to India. Well, meet God here immediately. But immediately he became overwhelmed with the huge 
parade of Hindu pantheon, not like Saraswati and Brahma and Shiva and Vishnu and Krishna and this and that. So, where's God? I mean, there's so many. And naturally, intuitive, he started to look and, and again, he was not yet studying Gaudiya Vedanta or anything, but he started to see all these figures and his idea was all of them are, have something to do. Shiva is meditating, he has something to attain, Brahma is creating, he has some duty to perform, everyone has something to do. And when he reached Krishna, he realized, oh, he's not doing anything. He must be God. He has nothing to do. He's just playing. He's just celebrating existence. Just dancing and singing, like celebrating his own Atmaramata, his own fullness, his own... So he intuitively, he, he never read that, but his, again, the intensity, the sincerity of his quest was such that what he connected with Onsala, he said, this is. And this was, of course, that was the beginning of the whole thing for him. And he became the first Western Gaudiya Vaishnava, strictly speaking. So, so that's the point. I mean, we are not promoting sectarianism in the name of revelation. And of course, we as Gaudias have a particular canon and way of reaching and establishing Siddhanta because, again, we, we, there is a, a systematic revelation presented to us and we are to take advantage of that but that's not an excuse to be sectarian or that's not an excuse to be narrow-minded and Krishna has all rights reserved to reveal himself as he considers so I, I, I will <clears throat> I will present this notion of Shastra in this wide way you know, in this broad way Shastra means revelation and revelation can take so many forms and places and that's a form I mean that's a way of speaking of Shastra in a, in a not so limiting way because generally sometimes we get this idea Shastra is a book. But Shastra is not a book. No? Shastra is an, a very alive principle also. And of course, sometimes Silas will say Shastra is the passive principle of divinity and Guru is the active principle. And I understand also why he's saying that. And I, and I will say that mostly he's saying that because for most of us, in the beginning, <laughs> we don't have the capacity of finding too much, to extract too much active principle from Shastra. So the figure of the Guru becomes totally crucial. And because, of course, the Guru is a personification of a particular emotion that the Shastra is speaking about and pointing to. But the more you advance yourself, the more you find that the Shastra is not actually passive either, it's, it's active. Something is going on in the pages, as our Guru Mahesh will say. You will even find that in between the pages of Shastra, there is one blank page that is waiting for you to be filled with your own testimony. You are to live in Shastra eternally. Maha Mantra was telling me in, in North Carolina, he was studying, uh, what was Ramananda Sambhad. And, she and I asked, how is your reading of Shaitanya Charitamrita, because I knew she was reading that for years. Say, oh, Maharaj, I got stuck in Ramananda Sambhad. I say, oh, great. I mean, that's, a, that's the idea, to get stuck there forever, <laughs> to enter there and live forever there. So that's, for me, a much more deep way of conceiving the book, if you will. <laughs> it's not only a book, it's a place of residence for eternity, <laughs> full of life, full of people, full of things. But in the beginning, we may not be able to take that adventure from that. So the Guru is 
there to show in practice an example in an alive way all the things that are in the book equally alive again equally alive one point the books becomes alive to you so so revelation is a very wide principle and of course there's revelation in so many traditions again I mean I love for example Thomas Merton and I read Thomas Merton although I disagree not disagree but we may have differences of, of opinions in different conceptions of divinity one is more inclined towards but I cannot deny he's having revelation. I mean, he's, he's, he's in touch with that principle. I mean, it's, it's obvious and so many persons in different traditions. So. so we are to learn from all forms of revelation, but at the same time, in the realm of revelation, there are there is variety and diversity. And it doesn't mean that we have to... I mean, we will be inclined to a certain particular window of revelation also for eternity, you know? So that's also, there's place for that as well. We, objectively, I appreciate all forms of revelation subjectively by certain samskars I receive. I'm inclined to a particular way of revelation. It's different nuanced of revelation. So there's place for that as well. Sarvashakti had a question? Uh, yes. Um, is in relation to the um this that you explained that Goswami say that all the avatars has their own lock to say mm -hmm. and means this that also for example Baraha Buddha and Kalki or his or are they explaining about like the uh, let's say like Rama and Krishna mm -hmm. Because uh, if it would be just, I'm trying to, to take it from a point like very external point of view, like very uh, cold point of view. If the avatars are the ten avatars, mm. you know, as explained in Srimad Bhagavatam, uh, then all of them has this like abode to say, or how it is understood. I, I never hear about. Like for example, that that Baraha or Kalki has their own planet to say. Mm. Yeah, this is mentioned in the Puranas. Jiva Goswami quotes that also in the Krishna Sandarbha. Srila Rupa Goswami also speaks about that in his Slago Bhagavatamrita. So that's been widely circulated that notion. Uh, also, of course, in this connection, it's important to know that there are not only ten avatars. Sometimes this das avatar, like, how do you say, like, group, uh, is popular among not only Gaudias but Hindus in general. But it's not that it's limited to that. Actually, the Bhagavatam at one point is speaking about the avatars of Bhagavan and uses the term asankhya. So asankhya means uncountable, which means there's not only <coughs> the these ten ones, but I mean, so many, many others. And yeah, each one of them had a particular reality in, ba in, in Baikuntha. That's, that's described in Shastra. Of course, that's not our prospect, our window of opportunity. It's not that we are focusing in that direction. But all these forms, again, they are avatars. So the very de definition of the term avatar means avatara, no? like crossing from up to down, divine descent. I don't like too much the word 
incarnation because sometimes gives this idea of incarne. Carne in Spanish means flesh, no? So like entering into flesh, but not in this case we are speaking something that retain its transcendence even though it's appearing among us. So yeah, it's a divine descent from somewhere. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's described in Shastra. And there are details in different Puranas about the different avatars and, and, and so on. Yeah. So that's there. Okay, something else before finishing? close with some little kirtan before finishing Srila Gurudev ki jai Sriman Mahaprabhu ki jai Sadbuch Goranga ki jai Sri Rupa Sanatam Bhatta Raguna Sri Jeeva Gopal Bhatta Dasa Raguna Sadgoshan Prabhu ki jai Harinam Sankirtan ki jai Gaur Bhaktavrinda ki jai Gaur Premanda Hari